If you have your Bibles, let's go to the Word of God. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 21, for our opening here, just for our introduction to this topic on the second coming and trying to attempt to answer the question, how close are we? We read these words in Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Your salvation, my coming, your entrance into eternity, and so on, is very, very close. The second coming has been a topic, of course, spoken about for many, many years, 2,000 years in the church. Yet, it is my opinion, and I'm approaching in the next couple of years, God willing, I'll be having been known the Lord and preaching for 45 years. And I've never seen more evidence to an intelligent mind that these are the days spoken of by the apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ. And so I mentioned to you, and we'll see this in just a moment, that one of the signs the Bible talks about of the approach of Christ is that there would be a great falling away from the faith. And we see that now. But we read also in the Bible that God cannot lie. And so here's a man who is traveling throughout the state of Montana. And he's in the backwoods areas and he's in the rural areas. Well, Montana is pretty much rural anyway. And he goes past this house. It's kind of unassuming house. It has a sign that says, talking dog for sale. Well, that got his attention, so he went over to the old man, the farmer, and he says, you have a talking dog for sale? He says, yep. He said, where is he? He said, it's in the back, in the backyard. So the man goes through the house, comes out to see this dog, and he says to the dog, he says, you can talk? And the dog says, yep. The man's astonished. He's shocked. And so he says, well, what's up? Tell me your story. So the dog says, well, I learned at an early age that I could talk. So I went to the CIA, and they put me to work for years. They brought me into meetings where no one would expect or suspect that a dog is eavesdropping and all this. So he says this about the CIA and his work for the CIA. Then he says, you know, after traveling back and forth on planes and so forth, I got tired and took a job at the airport. And there, same thing, I was used in high security matters, eavesdropping, people saying things. He said, but I just simply got tired, had a mess of puppies, and now I just, you know, hang out here at the house. <laughs> so the man is just astonished how articulate this dog is talking. And he goes out to the farmer, you know, to the guy who owned the dog. He says, you're selling this dog? How much do you want? He says, $10. He says, $10? For, this dog is amazing. How could you sell him for $10? He says, because he's a liar. <laughs> He's never been outside the backyard. <laughs> well, I don't know if dogs can talk or pigs can fly, but I know that God cannot lie. Amen. And all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, and for doctrine. And that's what we have before us. We are seeing the signs of the approach of Jesus Christ. You know, I could sum up everything I'm going to say in just a couple of words. Be ready. Be ready to meet your God. I say this again and again, but let me say this to you as well. The heart, the human heart, can become so hardened that you hear the same thing over and over again and never change. If there was ever a time to change, if there was ever a time, as I've advised some people, I say, search the scriptures for yourself. Well, this is that time. And this is a time to be lined up in obedience to Jesus Christ. This is that time. When it comes to the second coming of Christ, we have in the Bible here, one scholar has noted that in the Old Testament alone, there's over 1,800 references to the second coming of Christ. In the New Testament, again, same scholar, noting 318 references to the second coming, not the first coming. The one that we already know about, to the second coming. 
And you have about one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament that refers to Christ's second coming. 17 books, 17 books in the Old Testament dedicated to the second coming, the return of Christ. And most of the New Testament dedicated to the second coming of Christ. I want you to listen to something that many of you, not all of you, but many of you learned when you were little children. I did. And it doesn't really regard any specific Christian denomination. But some of these creeds of the church, they codify the basic fundamental beliefs of what it means to be a Christian. So I want to read to you this here. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. That would be the grave. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, which does not mean Roman Catholic Church. It means the universal church, the Church of Jesus Christ, wherever it's found. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. That's the Apostles' Creed. And I know that I was taught it as a young boy in Catholic school, Roman Catholic school, parochial school. Many of you were taught it as well. And it codifies the basic beliefs of what I'll just refer to as Christianity. But notice that the second portion of the Apostles' Creed it says that he's sitting, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. This is the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. If you remember, if you recall, when Jesus began his ministry at about 30 years of age, and he went into the synagogue and he read from the scriptures. Now this was a habit in the scriptures. It wasn't unique that Jesus should read the scriptures because this is what they did in those days. They read individually, like we have sometimes it says, I have a word from the Lord. But they read the scriptures, and Jesus stood up, and he read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me and has anointed me. And then he talks about the glad tidings and all of these things that have already occurred and are occurring right now. But he stops. Matter of fact, maybe we should turn there. I think that would be a better idea than me reciting it. Come with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 61 and see what I'm talking about because there's going to be a dramatic difference between Jesus first advent and his second advent and as you're turning to Isaiah chapter 61 let me reiterate what I just said a few moments ago if there was ever a time to get serious with your relationship with Jesus this is the time and so let me read this to you because these are the verses that Jesus read Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. It's all good news. And the gospel is called good news. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And for those of you who are not aware, it was at that point, he never finished the second verse. He closed the scriptures. He said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. Well, they wanted to stone him after that, but I want you to see with your own eyes that Jesus closed the scroll without ever finishing the second verse because it was not understood that Christ's coming would be in two parts. His first advent, his first coming, that's been completed. We know that. But those statistics that I gave you from one scholar, 1,800 verses in the Old Testament here, 17 books of the Old Testament devoted to the second coming of the Messiah. And then in the New Testament, one out of every 30 verses referring to Jesus' second coming. It's massive. Jesus closed the scriptures. And when he said that today this scripture is fulfilled in your midst, he did not include the second part of verse 2, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, the righteous. He'd never quoted that scripture 
Because, as just mentioned, Jesus' coming was not clearly seen. And we see it now in the scriptures under the aegis and light of the New Testament. But he, well, of course he knew there would be a first coming. The announcement of mercy, the announcement of grace, the bringing in of souls come for refuge. And the cross and the atonement, which we read in the Apostles' Creed, his blood cleansing us from all sin. No cleansing with blood, no God, no heaven, no eternity in that place where we desire to go. And most human beings desire to go. And most people think that that's where they're going to go. If they're just either good enough or because God is good. But the Bible also announces that God is holy. And that he cannot have sin in his presence. But he made the atonement. By the way, he selected you before you selected him. He called you when you did not know him. You said, oh, that's not right because I went to church. And I heard scriptures. That's all you heard was scriptures. The moment the Holy Spirit made it real and touched your spirit, you were born again. And now all of a sudden the scriptures they just jump at you when you read them. Jesus closed the scroll in the middle of a second verse because the day of vengeance has not yet come. But how close are we? That's the question. When we read the book of the Revelation, it is the only book in the Bible dedicated to such a short period of time of seven years. I'm not going to go into that today of how we arrive at these conclusions. But it's the only book of the Bible that is dedicated to what's known as the time of Jacob's trouble that's directed at Israel particularly and a time of great tribulation that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24 that will be so bad that if God did not intervene, there would be nobody left alive. No flesh at all. My friends, I believe that we're entering into that. I'm not going to set a date. I don't do that. I'll never do that. But the Apostle Paul tells us that we would know the season that we're in. And though we don't know the month and we don't know the day and we don't know the hour or the minute of the appearance of Christ, we know the season. Because that's written in the scriptures too. He says, I don't have to remind you that you'll know the season. You know the seasons. This is the season. We look at Buffalo just briefly, and it's hard to imagine six feet of snow. That's my height in snow. And then some more on the way. And I'm going to say to you, because it's registered this way in the headlines, one of the worst snowstorms that has ever hit Buffalo. Maybe not the worst, I don't know. I haven't gone that far in my research. But one of the worst. And then we hear this all the time. The signs in nature, the signs in the stars, in the universe, the signs on earth, the wars, the rumors of wars, famines, the pestilences, the plagues, the earthquakes. And they're happening now all at once. Certainly this is the season. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be honest with you. I really do. And I love you guys. But it's time for everybody here. I'm talking about the sanctuary, not just those that are listening on radio or watching, by the way, of the live streaming. It's time to get serious to say, is God first in my life? Amen. Amen. I'm not going to say to you, is God in your life? Because I know that he is. But is he first? You've heard the saying, it's not who rules the roost, but who rules the rooster. Well, ask yourself that question. Don't be glib about it. Don't think you know the answer. Meditate, because this is what I do. Is Christ truly first? I found times in my life when he wasn't. Things crept in. Is Christ first in your life? Now you have to answer that question for yourself. I can't answer for you. I can only say, as I'm getting older, I have decided I'm not going to go out with a whimper. I'm not going to just hang on. Even though sometimes that's what I say when people ask me, how are you doing? I say, I'm hanging in. It's simple, it's to the point, I don't have to explain anything. But I've decided to give it everything that I have, whatever that may be. And I believe that you should too. Going to take your money with you? Well, guess again, you're not. Put it to good use. And don't be sending it to the people on television. It's just a parenthetical statement here. It amazes me. Remember I've told you I don't know what you give, and I don't. I don't know what you give. I've never looked at the books in all the years I've been in the ministry. I just don't want to be prejudiced. I don't want to start to cater to the big givers. I just don't want that temptation. I want to treat you all as equal. But when it comes to giving and it comes to finances, that's just one area of our life. What about all your gifts and talents? How often have I hit this subject again and again and again? What are you doing with your gifts and talents? And I can't control what you do. I love you guys. 
I love you that are watching by way of the live stream. Those of you who listen faithfully. We have people that listen faithfully. Same with Sunday mornings. I look in the feed and it's the same people. So I'm speaking to everybody. This is the time to press in to make sure God is first. Not on the list. He's the first in your life. And prove it with your behavior. Now I mentioned money, but it's not money. It's not just money. Gifts and talents. So my decision is to give everything that I can in this hour of history. I'm not concerning myself with what everybody else does. I'm not even thinking about it. Only what I'm doing. Now I'm saying to you, do the same thing. Don't let people be obstacles or other things be obstacles in your life. This is the season. When Jesus comes, this is what I'm reading here from Isaiah 61. When Jesus comes, he's coming to judge in the Old Testament, as Israel is talking about the coming of the Lord, the prophet says, why do you want the coming of the Lord? Why are you asking for the coming? Why are you looking forward to it? It's not going to be good for you. And again, if you study the prophets, study the great preachers and teachers of the Christian faith through the years, the ones that really were you know, truly preachers, they spoke the truth. They weren't concerned. John Knox and all of these men, they weren't concerned about what people thought. John Knox, when he preached, had to have a bodyguard with him with a sword. That's truth. That's how rough it can be when you're speaking the truth. But that being said, we have to remember that when Jesus Christ comes again, he's coming to judge. We'll read if we can get to it today. In Revelation chapter 20, they saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it. As Daniel saw the ancient of days coming to the earth to judge every living human being who has been, who is now, or will be. The day of vengeance of our God. It's for Israel, yes, but it's for the righteous in general. My friends, this is the season. What are you doing with your life? Make sure God is first. Absolutely, positively first. In verse 7 of Luke chapter 21, where we just were, and you'll want to go back there because I'm going to read a few verses. In Luke chapter 21, at verse 7, it says, and it means the apostles, and they asked him, saying, Master, when shall these things be? And what sign will it be when these things shall come to pass? So we read that in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and here in Luke 21. You read what signs, what things he was saying for yourself. Earthquakes, famines, pestilences. The appearance in the sky of unusual sights. I read, and I think I shared this with you. I read this just two weeks ago. As our scientists peer into the universe with these uh, highly developed telescopes, just two, three weeks ago. They discover an asteroid they could not ever see before. So large, and the trajectory looks like it's coming towards the Earth. Jesus talked about the stars falling from the sky. With that being said, we have plenty of evidence that God wrote the Bible because man couldn't have projected these things. He could have talked about wars and famines, but he couldn't have projected the technology that we have. How many churches now are preaching to the entire world from technology that has been developed in just the last few years? And the population at almost 8 billion people and growing. So we have wars and rumors of wars and famines and plagues and earthquakes in different places, diverse places. We have signs in the heavens, which we've gone through this before with some of the findings of men like Avi Loeb, the head of the astrophysics department in Harvard. And they're coming up with conclusions like this there. I couldn't have been just an asteroid. It has to be some foreign object from aliens. And this is the head of the astrophysicists in Harvard. So what I'm saying is that, you know, they laugh at us, but they don't laugh at Avi Loeb. Why? Because he's a tenured professor. Well, let me say this. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Doesn't matter if they laugh. Doesn't matter if they understand. I hope that they do, but it don't matter because the truth is still the truth. I mentioned to you earlier, there would be a great falling away from the faith, which we've covered plenty of times here in my tenure in this city here, 35 years. We're seeing it. I told you this, 30% of the people that were attending church anywhere in the United States never returned. I won't say after the pandemic, but after the so-called lockdown. And I think to myself, and I have a few friends that agree with me, I think people figured out, hey, I could just simply watch it on television sit here in my jammies and my coffee. Let me tell you something about your jammies and your coffee. Being a disciple of Christ is rough business. And the Bible doesn't say sit at home. Now, sometimes you're sick, sometimes you have to. That's fine. We have people who are watching from foreign countries that have no access to the gospel. That's what that's for. It's not made for the convenience of people, especially in our country, 
who could say, let me just stay here and I don't have to bother with the people. Maybe some are saying, because I don't like half the people that I go to church with anyway. That's not a good sign. You don't have to like people. You have to love them. And they're not the same thing. And I quoted the verse, let me quote it again, from the book of Hebrews. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves one to another, as the manner, the habit of some is. And we're having more of that. We're having a falling away from the faith. I mentioned to you, let me mention it again, 200 Christian denominations in the United States and over 45,000 denominations in the world. And it's no wonder that the critics say it can't be true. I've read your New Testament and on and on. But you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll be okay. You read the Bible and then do what he says to do, as Mary said at the wedding of Cana, whatever he says to do, do it. Don't just read it, do it. Because in James we read, don't be deceived. If any man hear the word and isn't a doer, he, she is deceiving themselves. Now listen, this is serious business. What's at stake here? Your health, more than your health. Good mental health, which I do a daily show on that, more than that. It's where you're going to spend eternity. And I can't think of anything worse than going into eternity, forgive me for the description, with a smug look on your face in the Bible and meeting Jesus only to say, I never knew you. All these scriptures mean nothing. As Jesus said, beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. They wrote the book, literally. Well, the Pharisees were the lawyers, the scribes were the one who's transcribed it. Prophets, we have no problem with them. They knew what they were doing and what they were saying. Beware of the religious leaders who tell you, they sit in Moses' seat and they tell you what to do, but they don't do it. Listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. Put Christ first. This is the season. This is the time. What else do we need? My fear for America is this. Since we've placed our eggs in the basket of politics, primarily in politics, my fear, this is the truth, I'm telling you the truth, my fear is that we're going to see something very disastrous happen in our country. I hope I'm wrong, and I pray that this does not happen. This is my prayer before the Lord. Have mercy on us, God. But I remember where I was on September the 11th, 2001, I was in the gym. I even remember the exercise I was doing when somebody said, hey, a plane just ran into the Twin Towers. So we ran before the TV screens, and there it was. This building's on fire. And we're all standing there. There was a few of us standing there. I even remember who I was standing with. Walked away, shaking my head. So, well, you know, they've hit the Empire State Building and whatever. And, but something intuitive said, I don't think this looks like an accident. Went back to my exercise. Somebody shouts, another plane hit the other tower. Over 3,000 people died. You know the story. Now, why am I mentioning this? Because here in America, we've become so comfortable, we don't think these things can happen. We're Americans. We got a flag. And then we go through the history and all that. But we better go through the history of Israel and find out what happened when they deserted the Lord. And they kept saying, the temple, the temple, or church, church. And God says, don't say that, because I'm going to destroy the temple I told you to build. You see, and I just shared this this week on my Oasis broadcast for anxiety and depression a unique concept in mental health. Downsize all of your fears to one, the fear of the Lord. And I exhorted the people who watch, I wanted them to look it up without me reading all the verses and then they forget them anyway. Read the verses, primarily in Proverbs, also in Psalms, that has a positive promise attached to the fear of the Lord. But what is it? It's two things. Of course, it's being reverent when you talk to God. But it's also knowing what God can do if he judges for you or he judges against you. Is it probable, Franklin said at the Constitutional Convention, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can be raised up without his aid, his aid? You say, but I'm a Republican. (laughs) Well, let me tell you one thing. You have not impressed God. No, I'm not a Republican. I'm independent. God is still not impressed. I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. I'm this, I'm that. God is not impressed because he's God. And the soul that sins, God has said, it will die. There's no doctor on earth could change that or rectify it. This is the season where we're seeing the approach of Christ who, again, the scriptures say, and we just read it in Isaiah 61, 2b, the second portion of that verse, the day of vengeance, to proclaim Liberty to the captives and the day of vengeance to our God. False Christs have multiplied over the years, the centuries. And we're seeing more and more people make declarations. And I brought this to you last week, so I don't know that I have to repeat it about some cult from Korea. Trying to get me to come in on some unity deal. I'm not going. 
Because their leader is the prophet. You know, he's John the Baptist or whoever he claims to be. I don't think so. I've gotten books mailed to me, you know, 99 reasons the rapture is going to happen in 1999. Well, how convenient that was. I may look at them for references, but I don't read them. I know that it's baloney. It's a falsehood. We are living in an incredible age of deception. And with regard to the church only, I mean alone, we're having people get up in the pulpit and saying, I am Jesus. Now, I think at this point in my life, given my appearance, I probably, probably could fool some little children and say, I am Santa Claus. <laughs> Especially if I get a red suit and I have a hat. My granddaughter brought me the hat, the little thing. Probably. But even then, they're clever enough to say, you ain't Santa Claus. <laughs> even the kids are smart enough to pick out a phony. But there are many, many people fouled by tens of thousands of others who are saying, I am Jesus Christ. And Jesus talked about this. He said this would be one of the signs that would be right before his appearance. False Christ, the famines, the plagues, the wars. And again, we have the critics who say, what are you talking about? There's always been wars. There's always been famines. There's always been plagues. There's always been all of these things. And my response is always this, not taking place all at once, not in a population of 8 billion people, and not with the technology that we have. One of the things, an encouraging thing, at least it is to me, of a sign that would be one of the last signs, or maybe the last sign, before Christ appears, is that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. And that's occurring right now. I turn on my phone, and as some of you may have seen on Facebook, I'm now I've been entertaining doing a daily Bible study on Facebook. Why? Because I'm bored and I need things to do. No, no, not at all. I actually don't want any more to do. I would rather take it easy. Listen to me, all of you old people. Uh, you know, I'm going to take it easy. If I was you, I'd get busy for God. I can't use a computer. I know people in their 90s that learned how to use a computer when they were in their 80s. Don't tell me you can't do it. You don't want to do it. We have all this technology. You think one man's going to do it? No. It takes everybody. But we have all of these things happening all at once, and we have them happening in a time that is very very much at the tipping point. And if it wasn't for the fact that we know that God is actually actually in control, and we just say, oh, God's in control, and you don't really believe it, to know that God's in control is a great comfort. And here it is. The way to downsize all of your fears, all of your anxieties, all of your depressions, is to have one, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, the knowledge of the holy. The fear of the Lord brings to us even the word prosperity. Not the kind they're talking about on the television set. But my life has been blessed materially. I've had a lot of blessings that I didn't even ask God for, never realizing it was right in the scripture. So you follow me and put me first and reverence me and use your gifts and talents, whatever. And I'll add all these things to you. Again, Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I have food, I have clothes, I have a right mind. My mind has been restored for many years now. And here's the thing. People are talking about these things, and they're real. I'm going to give you a couple of statistics in just a second. We don't have to worry. God has always taken care of his own. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to inland China, said this, wrote this. God's work done God's way shall never lack God's supply. And I believe that, and I've seen it in these last four decades and a half. As of this year, 2022, the Bible has been translated into 724 languages. New Testament has been translated to an additional 1,612 languages. Smaller portions of the Bible have been translated to 1,248 other languages, according to Wycliffe Global Alliance. The Bible is going forth. The Word of God is going forth. And Jesus said, this must happen before I return and judge the earth. That everybody has to have a chance, an offer of mercy. The wise take it, because the sentence is pretty severe. Verse 8, Luke 21, and he said, take heed that ye be not deceived. Now, before I go any further, a bit of warning for you. It is assumed, maybe by me, that you could not be deceived, but I don't make that assumption. I don't make the assumption that I couldn't be deceived, and that's what keeps me from being deceived. I told you I was always the guy at the meeting raising my hand saying, how do we get there? I don't understand that. Sometimes I was wrong. I didn't understand it. Sometimes I said, that don't make sense. 
Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. There are so many false Christs on the scene, but one that I was mentioning, he died a few years ago, about seven, eight years ago now, was a convicted felon. He happened to be from Puerto Rico, landed in Florida, claimed that he was Christ. His followers got 666 tattoos. His pulpit had a dollar sign on it. There's so much cognitive dissonance in all of this, and yet you would say, well, what do you have, three or four followers? He had tens of thousands, and they would go out and they would protest to other churches. We could have been one of them. We weren't. They go out in front of the other churches with signs, you have the wrong Jesus. We have Jesus in our church. When they took up offerings, they were using garbage pails. You say, oh, that nobody believes that, but you're wrong. Tens of thousands and even millions of people believe in false teachers, false prophets. He's passed away now, and I say this not so much. Uh, no one should make fun of people who die, especially without Christ. But I can say this in sobriety. He now knows he wasn't Jesus. Wars and rumors of wars. Nation rising against nation in verse 10. Kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes shall be in different places. Famines, pestilences, and so on. Fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Now, listen to this. The United States Geological Society wrote this this year. According to long-term records since about 1900, we expect about 16 major earthquakes in any given year. That includes 15 earthquakes in the magnitude 7 range and one earthquake magnitude 8 or greater. In the past 40 to 50 years, the United States Geological Society, in the past 40 to 50 years, our records show that we have exceeded the long-term average number of major earthquakes about a dozen times. Well, earthquakes happen, someone says. In the year 2010, 23 major earthquakes greater than or equal to a magnitude 7. In other years, the total was well below the average. And it goes on giving these statistics, what I've just read to you. 40, 50 years, we've surpassed it a dozen times. What was the major earthquakes happening? In a website called Action Against Hunger, this statement is made after steadily declining for a decade, world hunger is on the rise, affecting nearly 10% of people globally. From 2019 to 2022, the number of undernourished people grew by as many as 150 million. That's roughly a little bit less than half the population of the United States. A crisis driven largely by conflict, climate change, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Diseases, these are the top 10 diseases in the world. Lower respiratory infections, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, this is worldwide, diarrhea, HIV and AIDS, which we don't hear much about that at all anymore, right? Whatever happened to AIDS, it's on the list of the 10 top killers in the world in diseases. Respiratory cancers, tuberculosis has made a comeback. We thought we were free from it. I know of people who's had TB, but now when science comes along and they do good things, I'm grateful for medical science. We're science in general. But there's an arrogance that goes with us. We've wiped out tuberculosis. And the statistics says, no, you haven't. It's now come back. They come back of these superbugs. This is what they tell us. When you don't finish your antibiotics because you're feeling better, then it's not completely killed off. And it comes back stronger and all this. And that's science. And that's above my pay grade. But all I know is that I know how to read. These are all secular sources. Tuberculosis is making a huge comeback. Diabetes, preterm birth complications, which let me throw this in as an aside. Once again, in Montana, just a couple of weeks ago, they voted down a referendum that would require a doctor to take care of a baby once it's outside the mother's womb, if it's premature or if it was a botched abortion. Listen to me. If you abused a puppy, you'd go to jail. How convoluted... How confused can the American intellect be? We're throwing people in jail for abusing their dogs and cats. But you can leave a human being on the table there crying. And I'm trying not to be too graphic. If you don't know much about abortion, look it up. Look it up. Look what happens. Look what they do when that baby's six months, eight months. Look what they have to do to get the baby out of there. It's not pretty at all. In fact, I saw an animated... Um, well, I wouldn't call it a cartoon, but an animated display of that. You know, I cannot unsee that. Now, I already knew about it, but I cannot unsee that. We are becoming inhuman. And then with our chest stuck out proud, how intelligent and smart we are. Well, the signs are there, my friends. 
And why are signs given? You may be asking the question. Signs are given as an indication. Not much different than the sign that says stop. What does it mean? Stop. There's traffic coming. We have signs that say detour. We have signs and all these things that mean something. I have a flare. So somebody sees the flare, realizes someone's in trouble. You can now use GPS. These signs are given to us that we can accept the mercy and the grace of God in an hour of history when we need it most. When Jesus said, when you see these things for you, look up because your salvation is very close. But it will not be a pretty picture for everybody else. We forget about thermonuclear war. And we always think about Russia, China, United States, the big ones. It's pretty much a given, though it's not stated openly, that Israel has nuclear weapons. And we forget about Pakistan and India. As they go to war with nuclear weapons, it's not going to be good for anybody on the planet. And then you have North Korea, and we go on and on. There's so much. It's overwhelming to the mind, to the intellect. But if we stay on one topic, that this is the time to put God first, to put Jesus first, and stop filling up auditoriums with nonsensical teaching about how you're going to have a great day today. Frankly, I hope you have a great day today. I really do. But that's not what I'm called to preach here from this pulpit. If we talk in private, I say, I hope you have a great day, and I really mean that. But to give you an hour's lecture on how to have a great day, and how you're a great person, and how to lose weight on the keto diet, yes, I'm still on that. If I was allowed to spit on the carpet, I would. But then I have to deal with Murray. <laughs> he's not easy, believe me, he's a tough hombre. You could look at graphs of the major wars taking place right now. They can't all make the newspaper. So we hear about Ukraine and Russia, which is a bad situation, and people in America saying, we shouldn't be giving them money, what about us, and all this stuff. But there's a lot going on in the world, and people aren't looking. And you should be looking, because these are the signs that Jesus said, when you see these things, look up. Look up. Your redemption is getting very, very close. A man by the name of George Tullock was on the expedition to the Titanic, which went down in 1912. He went down, and they were salvaging things off of the Titanic. They had this 30-ton piece of metal. They really wanted it. But as they were lifting it up, things went wrong and went sinking back down to the ocean. And what he did, George Tullock, from Massachusetts, he went down with a robotic arm, and he wrote on these words, I shall come back. But then he just died just a few years ago. He's only 59. Man at his best state is altogether vanity, is what the scriptures say. At his best state, altogether vanity. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. All is vanity. But I'm not trying to make fun of George Tullock. I'm just trying to say that he wrote something he didn't know that he couldn't fulfill. Jesus said, I will be back. And he's coming back. And we see the signs. And this for us is the opportunity to say, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. I'm reading on social media. People who are now saying, these are people who are very interested in politics, political junkies, stuff like that. And they're starting to say what I've been saying for decades. God is our only hope. Sometimes somebody will write something, I just write back to them. God is our only hope. And I don't get much disagreement. I'll get a thumbs up or a heart or an answer, say amen. Some are starting to see here in America, God is our only hope. And that's true of the whole world. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there any name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Not just made happy. Not have to get thin and have great abs. Again, that's not just a waste of time from a pulpit for a preacher to talk about nutrition. It's a dereliction of duty. What if you called 911 and you had an emergency at your house and the two cops, three cops, four cops get out and say, we're going to talk to you about your health. We're going to talk to you about your diet. You know, you really need to lose weight. What would your response be? I've got an emergency at my house here. It's not the job of the police department to tell you how to lose weight, how to be in great shape. And remember that I do this on the side with people who talk about the strength and all that, but that's on the side. When I'm in the pulpit, I'm here to preach the word of God. That's what I'm called to do. The other things I get involved with, music and strength training and whatever else I've done, you know, that's just being just an average individual talking about things. I like to talk about things. I like to teach anything I know. But the main order of business, the number one order of business is, do you know Jesus? 
Is Jesus really your Savior? Is he really your Savior? I know that he's mine. You need to know. Let me just tell you very quickly that we believe the rapture, Christ coming for his church, will precede the great tribulation, the day of vengeance of our God. But I won't go through those scriptures with you today for sake of time. The order of business after the rapture, if we are correct in our doctrine, will be a time of unprecedented, I want to say misery, but that doesn't do it justice. Great tribulation, the Greek word thlipsis, great stress. I won't ask you to raise your hands. I do from time to time. How many of you are stressed? I want to meet the person that one day I'm going to ask them, are you stressed? And they're going to say, not at all. But I haven't met them yet because everybody is being stressed, some more than others. And we're not dealing with just one situation. It's two and three and four and five and six. And it's coming at us all at once. Thlipsis means great pressure. A time of great pressure, so great, Jesus said, if it continued without the interruption of God, the providence and sovereignty of God Almighty, there'd be no people left. And my friends, it's happening. All I'd have to do right now is the same thing I've done from time to time. Say, how many of you feel stressed? And everybody's hands going to go up. But if the people who are watching in the live stream or listening by way of radio, their hands would be going up too. We are not alone. But here's the thing. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me in Christ. We cannot have anything overtake us or overcome us in Christ. I would counsel you as your pastor, as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't you let yourself get stressed over what's being said on the news. It may be true, but they don't have all the facts, and you do right here in your Bible. You have them in your Bible. That God has promised to take care of you. Oh, will you say, but I know verses where he promised, like Peter, that he was going to die a death that would glorify God. Well, my answer to that is this. You're going to die anyway. Surprise. You're going to die anyway. So we have nothing to fear. Why? Because Christ has conquered death. And once you can get rid of that anxiety, you can deal with the others a little bit more easily. Isaiah 65, 25. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Now, we have wolves up here in the Adirondacks. And there's some lambs being raised in the area, too, on farms. And here, in an event known as the Millennium, a thousand years rule. I'm not going through all the specifics of how this is worked out. But when Christ returns, there's a judgment that a thousand year rule, paradise restored to the earth before we enter into eternity. And it says here, during that period, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together And the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. When I was young, my brother's eight years younger than me. I looked after him quite a lot. Only because my mother would always say, take your brother, look after him. Or my father would say, just watch him. And I did. When we went to the Bronx Zoo, and my mother's here, so she'll remember this. My brother decided he's going to climb into the alligator pit. (laughs) So you'd always be saying, well, my parents would always be saying, where's Tommy? Where's Tommy? Well, there he is, crawling into the alligator pit. (laughs) Well, I ran over there. I grabbed him. What are you doing? Take him off the fence. But there'll be a day when you can crawl into the alligator pit and they'll just lick your feet in the millennium when Christ returns. There'll be no more animals attacking you or people attacking you or anything else. There won't be a single jail on the face of the earth. And not one inmate either. Isaiah 11 verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion. And the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. This is what's coming. Will you be there? Well let me advise you once again. You said well yeah. Yeah. You better make sure you're there. And the way that you make sure that you're there is you put Christ first. Make out a list today of all the things that are important to you. And if you don't already have this advice, it's kind of a gimme anyway. And see where Jesus is on the list. I've got to do this. 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 I make a list every single day. It's called a to-do list. I don't even bother putting on that list. Read the word and pray. It's always first. Always first. Always. Including Sundays. Always first. 
is my time of reading the Word of God, the devotional part. Then the rest is just, you know, other things I got to do, but it's still a lot of meditation, reading, and so on. Well, you say, but, you know, you're a pastor. I mean, you get paid to do this. I got a job. I got a real job. Any of you think of that? If you even think of that, I want to put you in this pulpit for two full years, and you're going to take every text, every email, Every phone call, every problem, every funeral, every wedding, you're going to study like you've never studied before. You're going to pray like you've never before. And we'll see how you fare after two years. I've been doing it for 45. By the grace of God. Because I'm anticipating the devil putting thoughts in your head saying, well, you're the pastor. You get paid to do this. I got to go to work. I didn't go into the ministry until I was 30 years old. I delivered groceries. I played music for a living. I was an x-ray technician. I delivered the mail. And now I still deliver the mail. Yeah. Delivered the mail. I was almost 30 years old before I went in ministry full time. And I started out in a little tiny Honda when Hondas were little and tiny. With a couple of kids jumping in the back seat. My wife over here. A couple of hymnals. A little tiny amp and a microphone into a condemned building. Well, it was supposed to be condemned. On a stage where I had no pulpit. That was the easy life that God handed to me. Because all the while he was testing me. And he's still testing me. My prayer before God for myself, and I suggest that you do it too. God, I want to pass your training. I don't want to fail your training. I want to be your man for the hour. Now, I know I'm one amongst tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, but I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to be preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel. I don't want to be on that ledger of someone else that failed. And certainly... Certainly, I don't want to be on the ledger of having somebody brand me as they did during the Civil War. You desert in battle, you know what they did? They brand your forehead, which today, of course, that never happened. During the Civil War, they would brand, put a C on your forehead, and then it was the rudimental drummer, you know, the little guys with the drums. Remember, bullets were flying at them too, 50 caliber bullets. You take gunpowder, that thing didn't come out. So for the rest of your life, they see that you deserted your country, your fellow soldiers during a time of great need. For me, I'd rather they cut my head off than I refuse to be a coward. What's a coward? Well, you know, you know, I, I don't know. Today we have to have pastors that will tell you all these things. We'll make it easy on you. We'll get you in and out. What does you want? PowerPoint, six-foot screens. Did you know that... The greatest method of teaching is preaching. I don't even mean just Christianity. The greatest leaders in world history were orators. Now we got this and that, and we got to get in, snack bars. Well, we have a snack bar downstairs, so I guess I just condemned this church. But (laughs) this is the time that you don't want to be branded C because you're a coward. And we don't want to be taken back, say, oh, look at Satan, what he's doing, what he's doing. What do you mean? It says resist Satan and he will flee. That's where we want to be in this hour because the signs are all around us and we're seeing them right in front of our eyes. Put Christ first. That's how I want to lead you to prayer today. I'm not going to examine you. I'm not going to say, come on, we've got to meet and I want to talk to you. You've got to examine your own life and you've got to come to the conclusion and God will help you whether Christ is actually first. What does first mean? I'll finish here. First doesn't mean, well, I got my wife once and my father. And he means first, always first, always. And you know, many of you are biblically literate. You know what Jesus said about that. If any man love, fill it in. You know the Bible. I won't finish it for you. Fill it in. If any man love more than me, he's not worthy of me. I love my wife. been with her for 47 years. She's been with me for 47 years, however you want to look at it. I love my family. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. But I'm telling you right now, not one of them will come before Christ. Amen, brother. And I love them. And I think that they love me. I love you, but you're not coming before Christ. And I'm suggesting you do the same. Christ is first. Let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We have a lot to be grateful for. We have a lot to anticipate. We have a lot to look forward to. But not if we're playing games. God, I pray that there's no one within the sound of my voice, whether sitting here in the sanctuary, watching on the live stream, or listening on the radio, that's going to be branded with a C in their forehead with gunpowder in it that says they were a coward. We may fail, we may fall, and sometimes we just lose, period. But let us not be branded as cowards. Absolutely not. I pray, Lord God, by your spirit, that you would prompt the hearts of the people who've listened to this message to put you first and to understand that first still means first. 
first at home, first at school, first at work, and to apply your scriptures to their lives all the way, all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. Oh God, we bless you and praise you that we've been privileged to look into the scriptures and understand what they say. God, pour out your spirit. America just needs you. You are our only hope. The turn the situation around in this country has just gone crazy, delusional. It's Sodom and Gomorrah revisited. We see it around the world. We need you, God. We don't deserve it, but we need you. We need you to pour out of your spirit. We need you to pour out of your spirit and cause people to be born again, truly born again. Oh, God, we're praying for our country. When we sing it, God bless America, let people begin to know that's a conditional song. You will bless America if we put you first in our behavior as well as everything else. God help us in this hour to not be deceived by ourselves when we looked into your word and never did it. That's a self-deception that no one's to blame but ourselves. We bless you today, Father. We praise you today, O God, for you are great and you are greatly to be praised. God, I am believing right now. You're touching everyone here, touching me in this pulpit, touching all some who couldn't make it today because they say that they're sick. Heal them. Touch them. We need those kinds of signs and wonders as well. We need those special miracles accomplished by the Apostle Paul and Peter in the book of Acts. We need your strength. We need you today. And we need to have proof. We need the doctors to once again say, as our sister reported a few weeks back, we didn't find anything. Oh, it was there. It was there. We saw it, but it's gone now. I don't know where it went. Well, we know where it went. Jesus touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. Now I know. He touched me. Made me whole. Would you take a minute to give God the praise today? We bless your name. We bless your name. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. We bless you. Oh, God, we bless you. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to us. Gentiles. So we close this morning, Father, with these words. Help us to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, all of the strength. And then help us to love one another. Because we give you all of the praise, all of the glory, and all of the honor in Jesus' name. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. Amen.